Now, today's biggest stories from the BMW of Des Moines Sports Desk. This is an X's and O's update on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And I'm Trent Condon. Big 12 football media days are underway in Dallas as the 10 teams converge at Jerry World. Tomorrow, Iowa State will be heading to the podium, including players Josh Kniffel, Deshante Jones, Jaquan Bailey, and Marcel Spears, along with head coach Matt Campbell. The Ames Tribune's Dylan Montz will join us at 11.20, live from Dallas. According to a report from the Des Moines Register's Matt Bain, four-star Oskaloosa big man Xavier Foster is set to announce his top schools in less than a week. Foster took official visits to both Iowa and Iowa State last year, along with official visits to USC and Baylor. Yesterday, the Wimbledon final in epic match between Djokovic and Roger Federer. Novak Djokovic an historic five-set fight for a fifth Wimbledon title. The call from ESPN is Djokovic wins his fifth Wimbledon title. Two Major League Baseball, the Cubs off the All-Star break sweep away the Pirates as Almora and Schwarber go back-to-back in the sixth. win on the call from the Cubs TV network. Cardinals on the winning side yesterday after their 5-2 win over Arizona taking that series and it was Paul Goldschmidt finding the bleachers. It's in a time. Deep left. It is fair and gone. Cubs lead now two and a half over the Brewers in the central three over the Cardinals. Tonight 7-0-5 the Cubs hosting the Reds. Brewers at home for the Braves. The Royals host the White Sox. And in a game you can hear here on 1460 KXNO, the Cardinals host the Pirates. Stay up to date at KXNO.com and all day on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Live from the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Jefferson Studios, you'd rather be here. This is 1460 KXNO. Hawkeyes, Cyclones, Panthers, and Bulldogs. Yeah, we got that covered. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, right, welcome back. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. 10-12 minutes or so away from Dylan Mons, Ames Tribune, joining us. Iowa State, uh, they're not even there today. The uh, Coach Campbell and the players will uh, fly in early tomorrow morning uh, for their appearance at Big Ten Media Day, two, uh, Big 12 Media Day, a two-day event Monday. Uh, half the teams, the other half tomorrow. Gary Patterson just making a little bit of news, Trent, when asked about the quarterback controversy or the quarterback battle that mm-hmm. he's got at TCU. Not two guys. Not three guys. He's got <laughs> six guys. What, what's the old uh, adage, if, if you got two quarterbacks, you have none? Right. I don't, what is it if you have six? I don't think that that's ever been broached. <laughs> I've got a six-way quarterback battle. It, You're in trouble. Jesus. Including uh, Max Duggan yes. uh, from Council Bluffs, who's, uh, I, I guess, part of this battle. Uh, I don't know. I mean, can, practice? How, how do you divvy up the reps, right? I Somebody deeper into football would have to fill us in on the amount right, of This has never reps. happened before. <laughs> right. Say over the course you have 200 live reps over the course of a three-hour practice. I, my number could be completely wrong. Mm-hmm. And normally, of those 200, 150 go to your starter, 30 to the backup, and then 20 maybe with the other guys in with six? 
I mean, even with the top guy, he's not getting half of them, you no, wouldn't think. No. If you're truly giving mm-hmm. six different guys a real shot to win this quarterback job, you got to cross that list off pretty quickly. You got to divvy this thing down, at least cut it in half, don't you? Very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, for, for if you have any chance. I, I agree with you. I've, I've never heard of anything like that. And maybe he was embellishing a little bit. He's yeah. just going into trying to make the point that he has no idea at this point of which of the quarterbacks sitting in the quarterback room are going to come out uh, on top of this thing. I still think it's going to be Rodgers. But as we found out last week, uh, that injury, and that's the kid who arrived on campus with all these accolades, but uh, got hurt in his, high, his senior year in high school, and apparently that's still in. Uh, lingering, we, we'll see. Alex Delton is a transfer from K State. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's all right, he's, at best. Yeah, it doesn't certainly wow you. All right, let's to, let's talk about the um, so the 2019 games of the year. There's another property in Las Vegas. This one uh, was the Superbook. The Westgate uh, in Las Vegas came out with some of their games of the year in college football. I wanted to focus on in on Iowa and Iowa State to begin with, and then maybe throw in a, uh, sprinkle in a couple more if uh, time allows. Uh, but the uh, the Cyhawk game was posted. Iowa State is a four and a half point favorite, meaning essentially on a neutral field, this game's a pick 'em, or maybe Iowa would be, you know, a half a point favorite mm-hmm. because Iowa State, Jack Trice is about a five point um, home field advantage. Different than <clears throat> NFL, where it's pretty much three, right. three and a half across the board. Right. That's not the case in college sports or college football. It's, it's far from it. Um, last time I was told. I think I've shared this with you too, right? Before the two biggest home field advantages in college football are Boise State and Hawaii, uh, of all places. But uh, Jack Trice at the time, I think was uh, was a four point stadium, but now it's. I mean, the team is better. Yes, there's more people in the building. They've uh, closed in the south stands. Louder, louder, com- completely different. So that point spread to you does that. Are you okay with that? Does that you think where it should have been about that? I I don't think I have jumped off my thought all summer long after spring football that Iowa State's going to win this football game. That hasn't changed for me throughout this summer. Okay. I don't think it's going to change for me leading up to it. But that four and a half number for the first time had me thinking. We've seen one of the properties had a pick'em. One had an Iowa State favored by two and a half. I'm still. I bet you that pick'em is long gone though. I'm still feeling good about Iowa State on that one. At four and a half though. <clears throat> That is the first mm-hmm. number that made me think. More than a field goal. More than a field uh-huh. goal. That 27-23, 28-24, you got the Hawks, you got the ticket, you got a winner. That's the time. So that's the right number for me. That's the one where I'm starting to think more about the other side in Iowa, taking Iowa. Uh, the next one we come to is the 5th of October, the next of the two needle movers, and they posted the Iowa-Michigan point spread. Michigan, a 15-and-a-half-point favorite over Iowa. Well, what do we continue to hear? That this is going to be a different Michigan offense than we've seen under Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. That the But 15-and-a-half? Against the Iowa defense. Right. Shea Patterson's an excellent quarterback. Yeah, so's Nate Stanley. Shea Patterson's a lot better than Nate okay, Stanley. Okay, but he's a senior quarterback, meaning that Nate Stanley's gone on the road and played in, in, in big environments in the past. And played well right. in big environments in the past. That, that's another part of it. Yeah, that's way too many points. I think it is, too. Even when I saw, what was it, 12 and a half, I think, is the number we saw earlier this summer. Is that what it was? That felt high. But you're getting more than two touchdowns yes. at, at the Westgate. Uh, next one up is uh, Iowa State on the road at West Virginia, four and a half point favorite. I don't think West Virginia's going to be worth a damn. 
They don't have a quarterback. Uh-uh, they're losing. I mean, they don't have any safeties. Mm-hmm. The entire safety room got up and walked out. <laughs> That's not a good place to start. No. I did back end of your defense. Uh-huh. Four and a half. Seems like a good number. I, well, see, I, I, I think I'd give the points with confidence. It's on the road. Yeah. On the road. Mm-hmm. We'll see. West Virginia will have, what, a month to kind of get their feet underneath them with Neil Brown and company in their mm-hmm. first year. And we both like Neil Brown. Yes. Think he'll do good long-term there. Not so sure in year number one, <clears throat> right. but not a number that I would jump at right away. Looks like you'd take Iowa State and lay those points again. I would. I mean, uh, it came out today, and as far as the media uh, the media poll, the new coaches in the in the, in the Big 12 were picked 7, seven 8, 9, and 10. Right. Uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, Iowa-Penn State. Not announced under the lights yet at Kinnick Stadium, but we both anticipate that's going to be the case. It's a pickle. Pick them. I think Penn State, I've been saying it for weeks, I'm not buying Penn State. I don't think so either. I think they are the fourth team in the East. Behind the two Michigan schools in Ohio State. Agree. I, I put them squarely back behind them, and then you couple it with a crossover loss to Iowa, which I believe will happen. Mm-hmm. You're looking at four, you're eight and four best case scenario there if they lose to all those three heavy heads. They still get pit in the non-conference. I got to look again at that over under. Was it nine that we saw? Eight and a half, nine for for Penn State. Uh, I can get that. I'm jumping on the under certainly with that. And I like Iowa in this spot. Tough losses the last couple years against the Nittany Lions. Bounce back the other way. Plus they'll be wearing the golds. Indeed they will. A lot of Iowa numbers been posted. Uh, Purdue and uh, it comes to Iowa on the 19th of October, right? Yes. Uh, Iowa's a five-point favorite. Give me the Boilermakers. You're going to be free points here. From his dominated fairness. You you like the Boilers outright, do you? Well, I don't know there, but five points, more than the field goal, sure. Give Mm -hmm. me those points right now. Uh, Iowa goes to Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a a five-and-a-half-point favorite at the Westgate. You You can get that number today. Hell, Iowa gets that Wisconsin monkey off their bat. Yes, he got to jump out. I was all in that Iowa was going, that Wisconsin was going to be down last year. They were going to take a step back, mm-hmm. and Iowa was finally going to get them. And the first part of that, right? Mm-hmm. Wisconsin took a big step they last did. year, but Iowa still couldn't win a game that they certainly, they should have won that football. Where's Mertz at that point of the season? We're in November, second week of November. Is he upright? I don't know. That that's why this is so difficult to bet this it game because yep. Mertz they want him to be the guy. Uh, Texas pays a visit to Iowa State. Texas is a three point favorite. I know what you're going to do. <laughs> uh, you think Iowa State's going to outright win that football game? Yep. Texas is a three point favorite. Is the number right? Probably. Yeah. National perception, that kind mm-hmm. of thing, seems right. Now, what will that point spread be when we get to November? Mm-hmm. Well, will any of these be when we get to right. November? This will be fun to take a snapshot of a look back and. Maybe I should print these out and put this in the folder. You know what? That's probably a good call. Yeah. Uh, the last one, uh, Nebraska hosts Iowa on Black Friday. Uh, Nebraska's a touchdown favorite, right, right up seven points. <laughs> touchdown, come on. I, they can, they should be favored, yes, I agree with that. But a touchdown favorite here with that defense? Trent, if you take a look at these games that they've put out, uh, Nebraska a nine-point nine favorite over Colorado, week number two oh. at Folsom Field. The love that this Nebraska program is getting. This, to me, is one of the stories of college football this year. Is is it warranted? Is it too quick? Yeah. I mean, they got a quarterback. They do. They've got a, they've got a big-time quarterback. I think they got a big-time head coach. But um, coming out four and eight... Are they ready this quickly to turn it around? And and, and are they? They could be seven and five. They could maybe even be eight and four. Mm-hmm. I can buy that. Can they win the West at eight and four? Well, you can. That's the other part of this. I the tiebreakers, think... the yes. Trent, that you and I and everybody six and three, three way tie. Uh-huh. That's what I see. Okay, 
Yeah, you can get there at eight and four. And then six and three, and how many teams are going to be there at six and three? Right. And then how many tie breaks are going to have to go down? Uh, we're going to go down to Dallas next. Dylan Montz joins us live from Big 12 Media Days, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. KXNO. Back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Let's get right to Dylan Montz, Big 12 Media Days. Continuing on, we'll keep Dylan for 10 minutes. We'll cut him loose and let him get back to what he's down there to do, and that's cover these things. But we certainly appreciate any time you can give us. Dylan, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on. Uh, Bob Bowlesby met with you guys earlier today. The fact that expansion does not even... Uh, those words, or that word, I guess, is not even uttered or hasn't been apparently. I think it's great news selfishly. I love the fact they play everybody in football, and the home and home in basketball is simply ideal. Um, but uh, it, it sounds like there's no chatter at all about expansion. Yeah, he made it very clear. He said that there was not in the, their discussions at any level. Um, it had not really been come up, but he did joke that um, he thinks this is the maybe seventh year in a row that it's been asked. It was literally the first question um, it really? in his press conference when they opened things up. So, uh, yeah, it'll probably continue to be a question, but it sounds like things are really stable in that area. They aren't looking to add any numbers, and that's, like I said, not even talk about it. Well, uh, apparent, but uh, he went on to, I guess, kind of punted or tap-danced around the college football playoff expansion question that was posed to him. Yeah, he uh, kind of was eyeing uh, Texas Tech athletic director athletic director Kirby Hocutt in the back, um, who served as the chairman and is on the committee. Um, it's, it's something I think they kind of are maybe wading into a little bit, just kind of gauge the landscape a little bit and see if it's something that they look at, but really nothing concrete and um, didn't uh, dive into exactly what those discussions would be. As you know, Dylan, I enjoy dabbling in sports wagering just a little bit. The question was posed to him about injury reports. It will happen at some point. But there was something that I saw him say, and I didn't hear it, so I just want to get your perspective. said he doesn't want to do anything that will encourage gambling on college sports. Does he believe that an injury report will encourage it? It's just information. It's not encouraging people to actually gamble, right? Uh, yeah, he kind of went on to to say that he doesn't think that's necessarily uh, you know going to lead into that, um, but he said that it's, it's maybe a part of it, but not something that's going to be the full breadth of why you wouldn't do it. But, uh, yeah, I think yeah, it's just kind of like with anything. And he talked about the transfer portal a lot as well, but it's just mm-hmm. something that um, you got to kind of monitor, I guess, as you go on. And it's just something that has to be more a part of the, the daily conversation as states start to, to legalize sports gambling. You know, back to the transfer portal for just a second. Was it a, um, I mean, was the, 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 you know, the movement of college athletes, was that a big talker with him regarding transfers? And some have had immediate success as far as getting uh, eligibility. How big of a talker was that? Yeah, he brought it up on his own and then was asked about it a little bit when they opened up for questions. And uh, he has a, you know, kind of a hard like hard line stance on it where, um, you know, the immediate eligibility thing and, you know, he talked about kids maybe having a uh, bad week of practice, uh, some sort of issue arises, and then they cut loose immediately. And he wants to kind of limit maybe the, the free range, like a free agency type of model. But um, that doesn't mean that uh, he, he's opposed to transferring. I think uh, his kind of stance on it was um, kids can go to a new school, sit out a year. There won't be the limitations of you can't go to school A, B, or C um, in, your, in your conference and things like that. But you go sit out a year. Um, and then maybe you get that year of eligibility back 
um, uh, at the end of your career if okay. you decide to, if you sit out a year and, and kind of work through things that way. So uh, he, he's not saying abolish transferring by any means, but he just is kind of maybe um, wants it a little bit more regulated, bit regulated than he feels like it's become. You've gone to these media days for a number of years now, Dylan, and, and many times it feels like the conference maybe is on the brink of extinction. I mean, there's been those kind of seasons. As you sit there, solid footy, money's being made, everything going well for the conference. What's what's the mood overall, not just with the media types, but everybody involved with the Big 12? Yeah, well, I'm standing in the end zone of Jerry World right now. So when you kind of come to these things and, and you're on that kind of scale, um, you know, where they put it and you look up the, the video board and things like that, the, the setting is certainly uh, reflective of maybe how Bullsby feels about the, the Big 12 overall. Um, they distributed uh, $38.8 million, um, 93% of it, I guess I should say, um, this last year in revenue to member schools. Um, so, I mean, he felt good financially. He felt good competitively getting um, another team into the college football playoff, getting Tyler Murray a Heisman Trophy. Um, he talked about the four national championships that the conference won this past year and some of the uh, non-revenue sports. So I, I think he feels good overall about things right now. And, um, you know, the first couple coaches that have come up have kind of uh, reflected those sentiments. Uh, the Big 12 now is a talker going to be on ESPN Plus as well as a, a number of other outlets. In Iowa State's case, that starts next year, which means that uh, with Northern Iowa game being picked up by FS1, there's, none to be, there's not going to be a football game this year or going forward anymore on Cyclones.tv, Dylan. Yeah, so it'll be, uh, they called it Big 12 Now is what the digital network is going to be, and that'll be, um, you know, I, I think it'll, from my understanding, it'll still be produced by Cyclones.tv staffers and, and kind of um, be made in-house to a certain extent, but it'll be uh, broadcast and shared through uh, uh, through this new digital network. So it'll kind of, I think they're still kind of ironing things out. When I talked to Jamie Pollard, um, you know, a couple months ago, whenever that was, uh, he talked about some things that they needed to kind of fine-tune, but they're getting closer now to, to launching this new di- digital network. And, and the good thing about that is you can have kind of have a library of content um, where all, all the member schools outside of Oklahoma and Texas um, are, are kind of housed. So I, I think overall they feel pretty good about the third-tier rights going to uh, this new venture. So as a beat writer, a little bit different than being a general columnist or something like that, on the beat with the team that you cover not there how weird is today for you? Yeah, it's really different because Iowa State is usually a first day mm-hmm. right. um, school at the Big 12 Media Day. So, uh, you know, the second day, usually when they're not there, you can kind of work on stuff that was there from the day before. So today, um, you know, it's really kind of trying to just gather um, some news and notes um, from the other coaches that are here. Um, certainly break down Bob Bullsby's press conference, which I haven't really gotten a chance to do because it's usually focused on Iowa State. So um, it's just kind of looking for notes like that and then, um, uh, there's a you know pretty big media contingent here, obviously. So um, try to get a couple national people maybe to kind of get their thoughts on Iowa State as you get into um, kind of the, the start of this year. But uh, yeah, you kind of have to sometimes be a little bit more creative maybe when um, when the school is in here, particularly on the first day. Uh, Gary Patterson spoke to you guys, uh, I believe, within the last half hour or thereabouts. A six-way battle at the quarterback position. Was his nose growing when he said that? Does he actually mean that there are six that there are six legitimate, I guess, prospects that could win this? Show? I mean, this is unheard of. The six guys are going to battle for one spot at the quarterback spot of all of them. 
Yeah, I, I have a hard time believing it'll be six, but he did rattle off the six names and, and talked about each one a little bit. But uh, they've had a lot of turnover there, obviously, with uh, Sean Robinson, who started last year, leaving. Um, they bring in Alex Delton, the Kansas State graduate transfer. They have Justin Rogers, who's getting healthier. Michael Collins, uh, who's also getting healthier. Max Duggan, um, the Council Bluffs native, who came in as a true freshman and I believe enrolled in January. So they have a number of guys that they're going to look at. And I think right now it's just a matter of kind of, um, you know, you, you, you kind of know what all those guys maybe bring to the table from um, their film and off-season setting. But as you kind of get into harder preseason camp, you start to iron things out a little bit. And obviously that'll get whittled down to, to – you know, maybe three guys here in, in the first week of preseason camp. But right now, um, there's six names, at least on the radar. Dylan, you mentioned you're standing in the end zone at Jerry World right now. Is this the first time it's ever been actually no, in? Uh, I don't think On so. the field? Yeah. On the field, it, maybe, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's the first time it's been over here at AT&T Stadium. In, in the past, they used to have it at a convention center, like a uh, uh, a hotel ballroom, I guess it was, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, at a downtown. And then, and then they bust the us over there. Yeah, yeah, in the last couple of years, they've had it at the Star in Frisco, uh, which is the Cowboys headquarters, and their practice facility is over there. Um, so it's kind of like a mini Jerry World, but this year they moved it to, to the big show. And, um, you know, this is my first time over here, and it, it really is kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you stop a little bit and catch yourself looking up at the big screen because that thing is a, it's a monster. Uh, Indeed it is. All right, so Dylan, you get the Iowa State coaches, or Matt Campbell, and and players tomorrow. Uh, What are you looking for uh, when when you get that opportunity? What uh, what do you want to leave Dallas with as far as, uh, you know, some Iowa State uh, content? Yeah, I think it's something that we've talked about a ton, but I think the offensive line is going to be something that I want to monitor kind of uh, starting tomorrow and then going throughout preseason camp kind of. Um, how, how they're feeling as far as depth, so why this year that group could be more cohesive, um, you know, what kind of strides they made. So uh, just kind of running down the list, um, you know, maybe ironing out some, some backup quarterback stuff, um, you know, what Real Mitchell has done uh, throughout the summer, what John Kohler brings to the table, and then defensively just kind of um, filling in the gaps at what uh, the secondary offers and then maybe kind of who stood out. Uh, in off-season workouts, and then maybe who's who's kind of going to get the first shot uh, once they get to preseason camp. So you can go break down maybe some position things right now, and I think that's that's maybe what I'm going to look at overall. Well, will Campbell bring a depth chart, a a, a fall camp pre-fall camp depth chart? They, they have in the past. Uh, I would expect them to. Um, uh, Iowa State did have a fact book here uh, today, but it didn't have a depth chart in it. So I, I believe when when their staff arrives tomorrow, there should be some sort of a, a depth chart and. Um, that'll certainly uh, be one of the first things I know all the, the local media will scramble to put out. No question about that. Dylan, thank you for uh, interrupting your, your morning at the Big 12 Media Days. Uh, we look forward to reading your coverage today, tomorrow, of course, and and uh, all season long. Dylan Mont's Ames Tribune, amestrib.com is where you can read Dylan and the entire paper over there. Thank you, Dylan. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yeah, good to talk to you. Dylan Mont's Ames Tribune. I know what it was regarding the uh, – the year that the building opened, Jerry Will World opened, mm-hmm. the 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 actual event was at the Hilton, and they put us all on a bus, oh. and they drove us over there to Jerry World. There hadn't been a game played there yet. They were still, you know, sweeping up, etc. Yeah, they're about to cut the ribbon, but they. Dan Beebe, that's where he held his press conference, and he held it in the end zone. You know the. There's an end zone that's kind of got all this standing room. Have, yeah, have you yeah, seen yeah, some of the yeah. uh, footage of it? And that's where BB had his press conference. So 
Um, what a commissioner that guy was. That was unbelievable. Wasn't that era incredible? Is that guy's fake Twitter? Oh, I miss that so much. Is it, is it gone I don't now? I don't know if it's still active. I don't think I follow it anymore. I, I know I don't. It yeah. was funny. Uh, Scott Miller will talk baseball with us. Uh, we, when we come back, we'll do a little uh, MLB. wrote a really fascinating piece. We'll pick his brain on some of the trades that may or may not be happening with some of the local teams. Trent and I till noon. We're on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. Iowa. It's 24-hour sports, morning, noon, and night, here on 1460 KXNO. Hi, right, Miller and Condon. Welcome back to Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Let's get right to Scott Miller. Bleacher Report. A lot of ground to cover with Scott. He was at Manfred's press conference over the uh, All-Star break. Want to go there. Want to uh, spend some time talking about that outstanding piece, uh, Opportunity Costs. Scott Miller, Trent Condon, and Ken Miller uh, in Des Moines. Thanks for coming back on with us, Scott. How are you? Hey, Trent. Hey, Ken. Real good. How about yourself? Doing fine. Thank you very much. I enjoyed your piece on opportunity cost. Uh, you know, some of these young players, they get this opportunity uh, to sign maybe a, what, a long-term deal providing security uh, for them and their families, but at the same time, maybe in most cases, some cases, uh, leaving some money on the table. Scott, I absolutely get why they do it. Uh, a lot of these players come didn't have much money, to say the least, growing up, and it provides for them and their family. But at the same time, are the agents the one that have the biggest beef with this, Scott? Uh, yes, yeah, some agents. Uh, you know, it depends. I know, yeah, obviously, in the story I quoted, uh, the the biggest agent of them all, right. Scott Boris, and you know, his philosophy is always players should get the the most value. They they, they you know his 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 thing isn't necessarily on what the dollars are, but what the value is. And and he, of course, always tries to go for record-setting contracts and set the bar with his clients. Um, you know, there are other agents that, uh, you know, I mean, Scott will tell you, it's the player's decision. The player tells me what to do. I work for the player. But it's interesting because some players with other agents – seem to be more of their own person rather than listening and doing what their agent wants them to do. So, you know, it, it varies, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, um, you know, the, the, the agent for Ozzy Albies, for example, David meter of sports meter, um, he was a smaller guy. Uh, you know, Boris has close to a hundred people working for him, whereas, you know, the other guys don't, um, you know, Ozzy Albies, in his case, that contract got ripped as one of the worst ever, seven years, $35 million. But, you know, Albies is like, look, I fractured my elbow two years ago. I was scared my career could be over. Also, a couple weeks earlier, Ronald Acuna Jr. signed with the Braves for eight years and $100 million. And those two are like brothers. Albies loves Acuna, and they love each other. So I think Albies also, aside from the fact that he broke his elbow a couple years prior, uh, and he was, you know, wanted to make sure he got some financial security while he could. Also, he loves playing in Atlanta with Acuna, and so I think for that reason too, you know, he was like, "Look, this is a good amount of money. I'm not going to keep trying to get the last possible dollar I can get. This money sets me up for my life, and you know, I'm I'm good to go with it." You know, Scott, another interesting component here that uh, really jumped off the, the page as I was reading it over the weekend 
was about the players that come from the Caribbean, from the Dominican, different places down there that English isn't their first language, and it feels people inside baseball believe that clubs are going after people that are, I think it said, an easy target, an easy mark, going that way, people that don't come from that background. Is that a prevailing notion in baseball? Uh, there are a lot of people, not everybody, but there are a lot of people that think that. And, and uh, yeah, in fact, Jared Dyson, the outfielder for the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, you know, he's one that direct addressed that topic in the story. And, yeah, there are a lot of people that think that, and that's where, um, you know, guys coming over to play from the, the Dominican or Venezuela um, or, you know, Latin American countries, where that's where the eight, whoever, whatever agents they end up with end up being a key because, you know, for those guys more than anybody, they have to depend on their agents to, uh, you know, give them, you know, as I point out in the story, the job of an agent is not necessarily to tell the player what to do because the agent does work for the player, but the agent, it's incumbent upon the agent to present the player. This is the offer. This is what the team's offering you. But not just that, to put it into context, you know, players comparable to you, similar position, similar years in the major leagues, similar stat lines, this is, the, here are all their contracts. So the contract you're being offered, here's how it compares to other players who are similar to you. And the agent, it's incumbent upon the agent to also say, um, you know, where these contracts have been the last couple of years and where they are now, you know, over the next few years, if you sign this, whatever it is, a five-year deal, here's where we project things could go for you. In other words, if you sign this deal, um, I, I think you're maximizing your value or you sign it, you're set, but you might be leaving, you know, $2 million, $5 million, $8 million on the table if you – continue to play at your rate you are and you don't sign this deal and you keep going to arbitration or eventually go to free agency, you know, here's what you could be leaving on the table. So you present the player with all of that information and then the player has to make a decision. And, you know, like anything, some agents are going to be better than others, just like, you know, in the real world outside of baseball, you know, we, some of our bosses are better than others. Some of our coworkers are better than others. You know, it's, that's the way life is. During your conversation with Manfred, did uh, so a couple of things, Scott. Um, the Tampa uh, Montreal back and forth did that come up? And maybe more importantly, from where we sit here in Des Moines, because we really take it in the shorts regarding blackout rules, was that addressed? Are is Manfred aware of the seemingly antiquated blackout rules in some markets? Is is he going to address that? And then what about Tampa Montreal? You're right about the blackout rules. Let me get to that one first. And sadly, I wish I had better news, but that Manfred spoke to at a lunch the day of the All-Star game. He does it annually, as does Tony Clark, the Players Union boss. They speak at a Baseball Writers Association lunch. And Manfred addressed that briefly. And as of right now, it does not sound like there's any change or update or anything like that uh, on the books for the blackout rule. And uh, you're right. I mean, it's ludicrous. It's archaic. Um, I, I assume eventually common sense will prevail and they'll say, you know, that we can't keep doing this. Uh, but as of right now, I don't, uh, I'm not aware of any changes on the books to that right now. Um, sadly, 
Uh, I feel your pain, especially, I mean, you know, it's not like you got a choice to drive to five different major <laughs> right. ballparks in Iowa. I mean, come on. So, secondly, um, yeah, the, the, the Tampa Bay-Montreal thing is very interesting. I don't personally think it's ever going to happen. Maybe it will. Tampa Bay's owners say they swear they're investigating this, and this is the only way we're reaching the only way to to keep baseball in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, obviously they've been trying to get a new ballpark forever in Tampa Bay, and they haven't been able to do it. And it's a bad setup that they've got right now. So there's and they don't draw anybody, and they haven't. So they're saying if we play half our games in Montreal, half in Tampa Bay, uh, that will alleviate the problem. Well, the reason I don't think it's going to happen, there are a couple things. One, Tampa Bay is contractually tied to Tropicana Field through 2027. And as of right now, and the politicians in the area that control that lease say, we're not letting you out of that lease. So that's the first huge hurdle they're going to have to overcome. Secondly, um, it's clear they're going to have to get into a new ballpark if, if, if anything should be viable. So there's some thinking that the timing of this right now in 2019, this, this being aggressive with the Montreal idea, is such that if they're to get a new stadium built in Tampa Bay so they can move into it when they move out of Tropicana Field, well, they've got to have shovels in ground and have groundbreaking by, you know, twenty. 21, 2022, something like that. So by doing this now, that puts the heat on people locally. Like, look, if we're ever going to get a stadium built, uh, you know, if you don't want us to go spend half our time in Montreal, then let's get going. And and so there's some thought that this is a trying to put the impetus on them to break ground because, like you say, they're going to have to do so by 2021 or 2022 because they're not signing another lease with with Tropicana field. Uh, and then the third issue is the players union. You know, if you're a player that how are you supposed to set up shop? If you're playing half the summer in Tampa Bay and half in Montreal, say you're an older player that's married with two kids. Um, you've got to have a house or something in Tampa Bay. You've got to have a house in Montreal, uh, someplace to live. Um, it, it, it makes it very, very, complicated if you're a player and uh then there's the whole free agency thing if you're trying to lure a free agent you know trying if you're a free agent and i come to you and i'm like look i'm the tampa bay Rays. i'm gonna i'd like to pay you 10 million or whatever it is to come play for us and then your first question is gonna be yeah but what do i so what's the setup i play half my summer in montreal half in tampa bay what do i do with my family how does this all work so there are a lot of hurdles still before this is going to happen. Scott, if you're paying me $10 million a year, though, I think I'd be able to figure it out. But that's a little <laughs> bit different. A few more options for all those other Major League Baseball players. Hey, I want to take you back to Friday night. And over the course of the 162, you know, there's a, low, a lot of ho-hummers, things that just fall between the cracks that you miss. But Friday night, just the incredible spectacle in Anaheim. First home game after the passing of Tyler Skaggs. A combined no-hitter. They had an opener of the game the emotion afterwards, Trout hitting the homer, all the numbers that were went into it and just some of those eerie kind of circumstances around it. Just an incredible night. And, and thankfully for Twitter, I normally wouldn't have been on that game, but I flipped over to it. Just had a great night watching it. How about you? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, it, it's going to end up, to me, it's, it's going to be the 
number one moment from this summer, no matter what happens the rest of the baseball season. Uh, probably the biggest moment of the last several. Uh, I mean, it was just so poignant, so powerful. Uh, you know, the quick backstory, of course, for listeners that are might be even a little confused on the timeline, is that Tyler Skaggs you know, passed away unexpectedly in, te- in Texas when the Angels were there before the All-Star break. So Friday night, not only was this opening of the second half after the All-Star break, but it was the Angels' first home game since Tyler Skaggs passed. So in the week, in the 10 days or so since he had passed, and then especially on Friday night, pregame, fans had gone to Angel Stadium and, and left flowers and T-shirts and pictures like in a makeshift tribute outside the stadium. And so that was all going on, and it was already going to be an emotional enough night Friday night. But fans are still leaving their stuff at the gate. And then, you know, then we get to Friday night's first home game. And Tyler Skaggs' mother threw out the first pitch, uh, Debbie Skaggs, and and right down the middle, strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody noticed that. The Angel players were like, oh, my gosh, she just threw a strike. And then uh, the game starts. Everybody wears Tyler Skaggs' number, number 45. And as if all of that wasn't enough so far, then you get into the combined no-hitter, which builds the drama and the emotion inning by inning, like building blocks. And, um, you know, so a reliever, Taylor Cole, started the first two innings, and then uh, Felix Pena pitched last seven. And doggone if they don't throw a complete uh, game, a a combined no-hitter. You know, meanwhile, like you said, Mike Trout, his first three at-bats, he homered and he hit two doubles. He had like six RBI in in the first five innings. And the home run, uh, Trout, uh, who's not a showboat as, you, as everybody knows, but he took his sweet time rounding the bases after the home run. I think it took him 27 seconds. It was like the longest home run trot of his life. And obviously he was doing it to slow things down. And it was a tribute to his fallen teammate who was a close friend. Tyler Skaggs and Trout were close friends. So you had that. Then as I said, the inning by inning, the drama builds, the no-hitter gets completed, and then uh, the hitting coach suggests uh, w- what was the most memorable thing of the whole evening, and that, uh, the no-hitter is done. The Angels in mass go out to the pitcher's mound and circle it, and they took their jerseys off. The no- Everybody wearing number mm-hmm. 45 and pl- carefully placed the jerseys on the mound. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, there are moments I, I, where I've said sports at its best when it's at its best, and it's not always at its best, but when it is, uh, you know, it, 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 it bonds communities, it brings people together, it can become bigger than all of us, and that was what happened Friday night, and it was just phenomenal. Scott, we have 20 seconds left before the music plays. Will Theo uh, make a move for the Cubs? Cubs got a big move in them, do you think? I don't know about a big move. I think they'll get more pitching. Uh, they, I think they need it. Uh, Craig Kimbrell's had a little bit of a rocky start. You know, ERA is high, but I think he's going to be fine. I think that will be their big move. Uh, but Theo and the Cubs will figure out a way, I think, to do one or two more things by July 31. Scott Miller, Bleacher Report. Scott, thank you. Appreciate it. 
My pleasure, guys. Good to talk to you, Scott Miller, National Baseball Correspondent for Bleacher Report. All right, your twins are off, right? They are, Now, yes. where do they go home or stay out on the road? Home for the Metskies. Oh, that's right. Yeah, interleague play, the Mets. Zach Wheeler, I think, tomorrow for right. the Mets. They missed the big two who pitched already. Do they? The Grom and Syndergaard already pitched after the break. That's fortunate. Catching a break there. So, yeah, instead it'll be... The, yeah, Wheeler Wheeler in the first game, mm-hmm. Stephen Matz after that. Just a two-game. Gotcha. All right, who, um, do you like the Cubs tonight? Do you have a, do you have a play tonight? Cubs, I, know, I know your love of Luis Castillo. I do. I like him. This Cubs team's playing. They're, they look like it, it's been three games. Yeah. The breaks. Minus 140? Hendricks has not been Hendricks since he's come back from the injury. Plus 120 on the red side. Where are you leaning? Feels like you got I an opinion. Go, I would go with the Reds. You'd go with the Reds. I think so. Uh, we we shall see. All right, uh, tomorrow we'll have Chris Williams live from Dallas. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to get Matt Poston's working on that, right? Yes. Harlan College Sports. Zubin's going to be a part of the program tomorrow as well. Uh, don't forget Hackfest coming up on Friday. If you haven't already done so, looking at the tweets as we speak, there are still a couple of spots left, according to Andrew Downs at Hackfest Friday at Copper Creek. Email Andrew Downs at iHeartMedia.com to enter your foursome. Email Andrew Downs at iHeartMedia.com to enter your foursome or call uh, 515-245-8900. Hackfest at Copper Creek this coming Friday. We'll be in Chicago. We will. I'm going to stop when I get back, though. If back, you know the Hawkeye players speak Friday afternoon. Oh, that's right. You won't see Hawkeye. You won't see Hackfest. I don't think so. Uh, we will hear Murph and Andy at 2, then the Fanatics at 4. Morning Rush starts it all tomorrow at 6. Thanks for being here with us today. We'll be back tomorrow with 10. Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.